Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you give them a visit and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a great show lined up for you today, including guest Bob Levy. He's the chairman of the Cato Institute. And we'll visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. It is March the 16th, and on this day in 1802, the United States Military Academy, the first military school in the United States, was founded by Congress for the purpose of educating and training young men in the theory and practice of military science. Located at West Point, New York, the New York uh, U.S. Military Academy is often simply known as West Point. Located on the high west bank of New York's Hudson River, West Point was the site of a Revolutionary-era fort built to protect the Hudson River Valley from British attack. In 1780, the Patriot General Benedict Arnold, the commander of the fort, agreed to surrender West Point to the British in exchange for 6,000 pounds. However, the plot was uncovered before it fell into British hands, and Arnold fled to the British for protection. Ten years after the establishment of the U.S. Military Academy, the growing threat of another war with Great Britain resulted in congressional action to expand the Academy's facilities and increase the West Point Corps. Beginning in 1817, the United States Military Academy was reorganized by Superintendent Sylvanus Thayer, later known as the father of West Point, and the school became one of the nation's finest sources of civil engineers. During the Mexican-American War, West Point graduates filled the leading ranks of victorious U.S. forces, and with the outbreak of the Civil War, former West Point classmates regrettably lined up against one another in the defense of their native states. In 1877, the first African-American cadet graduated from West Point, and in 1976, the first female commit, uh, cadet was admitted the Academy is now under the general direction and supervision of the Department of the U.S. Army and has an enrollment of more than 4,000 students. <clears throat> Unfortunately, becoming a little bit, becoming woke like uh, the rest of the military, hopefully uh, that tide will change with a new administration. Speaking of which, uh, Kamala Harris's husband, Doug Emhoff, tested positive for COVID-19 on Tuesday. Well, President uh, Biden said, well, there's been a little change in the arrangement of who's on the stage because of the first lady's husband contracting COVID, referring to Doug Emhoff's recent COVID positive test. Of course, the uh, first lady's husband happens to be the president, happens to be Biden. He gets so confused. It's so unfortunate. God help us that he's negotiating with uh, foreign powers. Unbelievable. Thought it would be interesting to start off with that story. Dr. Rachel Levine, the Transgender Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services, has been named one of USA Today's Women of the Year. I'm not kidding. That really happened. By the way, there's no such thing as a transgender. There are two sexes, male and female. Dr. Levine is a man who identifies and dresses like a woman. However, the nomination places Levine on a list of honorees that includes Melinda French Gates, Simone Biles, and Vice President Kamala Harris, amongst others. Ironically, Levine might be the pick of the litter here. Anyhow, the news outlet set out the criteria for nomination alongside publication of the list. USA Today's Woman of the Year leads, uh, lead and inspire, promote, and fight for equity, give others a place to seek help and find hope. Uh, in my in, The inference, of course, being that people are victims, or women are. They're strong and resilient women who have been champions of change and courage, uh, and uh, often despite their own challenges. Just a reminder that the United U.S. Today, USA Today, brings us the Naples Daily News, which is quite frankly abominable press for uh, a conservative community like the Paradise Coast. Well, moving on, two dozen uh, local and national conservative speakers will take the stage this weekend at Naples' third Patriot Fest, including U.S. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, 
of Georgia and singer Ted Nugent and former entertainment lawyer turned conservative commentator Rogan O'Handley, also known as DC Drano on Instagram. Patriot Fest will take place from noon to 5 p.m. on Saturday in Sugden Regional Park in East Naples. Tickets can be purchased on flconservativevoice.com. That's flvoiceconservative.com. The tickets range from 25 to 150 bucks. <clears throat> Pat Chambers is the new uh, men's basketball coach at FGCU. He's got a really interesting background, and I wish him well. It didn't uh, matter that the, he'd been an assistant coach under Jay Wright of Villanova, taken Boston University to the NCAA tournament as a head coach, or led the program at Penn State, a football school, to the 2018 NIT championship and a top 10 ranking in 2019 and 20. He did all those things. However, uh, he's looking to restart his career because of something that happened. Uh, Chambers resigned from Penn State in October 2020, just before the season, three months after the ESPN story came out where a black former player said he'd used the word noose in a January 2019 conversation with him. And the former player said he had transferred due to the manner in which Chambers and the school responded to the situation. According to the ESPN story, Chambers, who had been suspended a day earlier for shoving one of the players during a timeout, was talking to the then-freshman Racer Bolton, who had been struggling, and Bolton said that uh, Chamber told him, I want to be a stress-free lever for you. You can talk to me about anything. I need to get some of that pressure off you. I want to loosen that noose around your neck, said uh, Chambers. Well, Penn State opened an investigation, then announced new allegations of inappropriate behavior had been discovered without detailing them. And Chambers was gone after nine seasons and a 148-50 record, 150 record. He had a 190 and 178 career record overall, including two years at Boston University, which Chambers led to his only NCAA appearance in 2011. The players didn't know what it was come what was coming and tried to go to the administration to ask about Chambers' status and had been assured he will still be the coach. So when it happened, they weren't happy. An assistant coach was promoted and the players stayed for the season, and then several of them entered the transfer portal after uh, the 2021 season. When Kavanaugh met with Chambers and discussed what was happened, he was satisfied in how he responded. The first thing that any of us, uh, when we make a mistake, is owning it, not making excuses, Kavanaugh said. He just simply owned it. He owned it, said Kavanaugh. I had to take a deeper dive about the understanding and uh, being more mindful, Chambers said, regardless of the context, I was trying to help. I was trying to guide. I was trying to make some, take the pressure off, and I missed, he said. Well, uh, he, you know, he made a mistake according to our woke culture. My goodness, uh, clearly the player could have understood what he was attempting to say, although the word of noose was used. Anyhow, he gets a fresh start at NFGCU, and I'm really pleased. Uh, because I think he could be a great leader and lead the basketball program again, as Enfield did, taking FGCU to the uh, NCAA tournament to the uh, final to the top 16. Uh, quote from Ken Cavanaugh, FGC director of athletics. As we looked at it, high integrity, family man, knew the game, relates to the players, and connects with donors and proven winner who gets a great who was a great ambassador. Check, 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 check. Said uh, Kev Ken Cavanaugh. Again, um, Mr. Chambers, we wish you very well in your new role as the basketball coach at FGCU. Well, unemployment is on the rise in southwest Florida. At least it ticked up in January from where it stood in the end of the year. That's actually good news for local employers and local economy. It reflects a growing labor market. We've had more people not only employed but willing to work, and they are actively looking for a job set. Amira Ferreira an economics professor and interim director of the Regional Economic Research Institute at Florida Gulf Coast University. A report released Monday by Florida Department of Economic Opportunity puts numbers on what employers hope to be an emerging trend. It shows that the labor force grew by 24,500 workers over the past year in Lee and Collier counties. That's good news. So the workforce is growing, as is the unemployment number. So this may result in more employment in uh, because jobs are available. My goodness, we see that all the time. And uh, not only are jobs available, but the workforce is expanding. So perhaps this will lead to good news on the Paradise Coast. 
Well, the latest uh, University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey shows Americans are cranky and sad. High gas and food prices will do that. Amazingly, the public is more dour today than it's been during the height of the pandemic and hasn't been this distraught since the bottom of the financial crisis in 2008. Just a year ago, we were told that Joe Biden was going to joyously unify the country now that the rascal Donald Trump was out of the picture. Well, that's not happened. And of course, uh, people are very unhappy about what's going on as reflected uh, by recent polls. Uh, Sarah Bloom Raskin has withdrawn her nomination to the Fed. The first nail in her coffin came yesterday when Democrat Senator Joe Manchin said he would vote against her because of her hostility to American energy. Uh, She wrote in the New York Times that the Fed should essentially use COVID as a cover to kill the oil and gas industry. Here's a quote. Climate change threatens financial stability. Addressing it can create economic opportunity and more jobs. The decisions the Fed makes on on its behalf, our behalf, should build towards a stronger economy with more jobs and innovative industries, not prop up and enrich dying ones. Well, she's referring to the oil industry. Raskin was an advocate for the loopy idea of adding climate change as one of the Fed's mandates for setting money policy. With inflation at near 10% thanks to the Fed malfeasance, shouldn't the Fed governors figure out how to stabilize prices before they try to figure out how to stop the rising oceans? I think so. Uh, Raskin, glad you're out of the picture. Hopefully somebody will be nominated that can stay in their lane. The Senate passed a measure that would make daylight savings time permanent across the United States. If the legislation clears the House and is signed by the president, it will mean that Americans will no longer have to change their clocks twice a year. The bill, the Sunshine Protection Act, co-sponsored by Sheldon Whitehouse and Senator Marco Rubio, was passed unanimously. It would make daylight savings time permanent in 2023. The big picture, uh, health groups have called for an end to the seasonal shifts of clocks, a ritual first adopted in the United States more than a century ago. As the House uh, hearing last week, health experts cited sleep deprivation and health problems as negative effects associated with changing the clocks. So this is good news. You may be aware that uh, during uh, Governor Scott's tenure, uh, the state legislature passed a bill to uh, change the time zone to permanently to daylight savings time here in Florida and make all of Florida uh, the eastern time zone. Well, uh, that has not been approved by Congress, but this has. This will be a nationwide move, and uh, we'll see where this all goes. <clears throat> Finally, migrant encounters in the southern border in uh, February were up 63% compared to this time last year. That's totally out of control. We don't hear news about it. But uh, it's unbelievable that we're focused on helping folks in Ukraine uh, with their border and we don't pay attention to our own. And we see all kinds of people coming across the border, including criminals and people who want to harm the United States government. President Biden is not doing his job. It's his job to enforce the laws here in the United States, and he's not and he's not doing it. He'll have to pay, pay the consequences at the voting booth in uh, 2022 and 24. I certainly hope so. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lula Bee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. 
Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York style theater at its very best and now building a performing arts center in downtown Naples. It's going to be absolutely beautiful. And find out more and buy tickets, go to gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob's an author. He's written several books. He's also a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. <clears throat> we are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government, cato.org on the web. Thank you, Bob. I want to pick up on our conversation we started about the Supreme Court and uh, what has happened since... Uh, the New Deal, uh, F, when the FDR went uh, to subvert the Constitution, we know things are kind of out of alignment with the Constitution now. So let's move on to, or we started our conversation basically with the whole notion of the power of administrative agencies and talking about Obamacare. But, uh, Bob, what's your response to the government's argument that subsidies for Obamacare were obviously intended for buyers on the federal exchanges? You recall that the text of the law said that um, the federal government can set up exchanges if a state decides not to. But the text also said that subsidies are available only on the exchanges established by the state, Mm -hmm. not the federal exchanges. And then comes IRS, which passed a regulation that basically says, the heck with the law, we're going to do what we want. Now, so the, determining the intent of this IRS reg may be useful when the text is ambiguous, but there's there's nothing ambiguous about the phrase established by the state. Mm-hmm. And Congress has repeatedly conditioned the receipt of federal benefits on state uh, cooperation. So nobody should have been surprised or puzzled by just one more program that bribed the state's to join. In other words, you'll get the subsidies, but only if you establish a state exchange, not if you make us, the federal government, establish a state exchange. So it's just one more in a long line of federal carrots and sticks. Congress' intent was both obvious and it was commonplace. In fact, we had a guy with the Obama administration 
an Obamacare architect, Jonathan Gruber, had, and he had this to say, and this is a quote, if you're a state and you don't set up an exchange, that means your citizens don't get their tax credits. And that sounds pretty clear to me, notwithstanding what IRS had to say. Yeah, well, it's an unfortunate reflection on the entire process. Uh, you know, we have to uh, pass the bill so we can read it, according to Nancy Pelosi. Very rough shot, and unfortunately, the courts upheld this very flimsy uh, argument. So what about right. the argument that no one understood Obamacare to exclude federal exchange subsidies when the law was passed? Well, you know, the, the, what, what a legislator understands is trumped by the plain language of the statute. And in this case, there are multiple references in Obamacare to exchanges established by the state. Mm. And there are other references that just say exchanges. So Congress knew how and when to distinguish state exchanges from federal exchanges. And there's no part of the legislative record that supports the notion that subsidies would be available on these federal exchanges. The administration needed an inducement for the states to establish exchanges. And Obama mistakenly assumed that no state would resist that federal largesse. But it turned out that 37 states did resist it. So this mistaken assumption by the Obama administration did not empower IRS to go in and say, the heck with the law, we'll draft whatever regulation we wish. Wasn't that like a statement on the part of the states to say that, well, you passed the law, uh, but we don't like it, and this is one of the ways we're going to express that? Yeah, the that's right. We're going to express it by not establishing a state exchange. The heck with the subsidies. And that's what the law provided. And, of course, then IRS said, wait a minute. We, do. we didn't imagine the states would do that, so yeah. we better do something correct. Yeah. So finally, what about the Obama's administration's claim that the states weren't aware that they might lose the subsidies if they didn't set up a state exchange? Well, you know, if Congress failed to give the states clear notice that the subsidies would be withdrawn, uh, that might compromise state sovereignty. That would be a pretty good argument. But the lack of clarity, it didn't come from Congress. It came from the IRS. Mm -hmm. The IRS is the, is the agency that wrote, without any congressional authorization, that the regs allowing subsidies uh, would be given to, to the states, even if they didn't establish exchanges. There was no, uh, there was no uh, ambiguity in the statute. Yeah. So, uh, of course, all those elected officials at the IRS, of course, will probably lose their jobs, right? <laughs> yeah, one, yeah one would hope. Yeah. So after all the arguments, pro and con, tell us about the Supreme Court's decision. Well, you know, taken as a whole, uh, the language, the context, uh, contextual meaning, the structure, the history, the uh, overarching purpose of Obamacare, it re requires said uh the Obama administration, a broad reading of this phrase established by the state, and that the statute said the Obama administration was ambiguous, and that if you interpret it the way the protesters wanted it interpreted, there would be an economic death spiral in the insurance markets. Um, but, you know, IRS's interpretation, um, IRS wanted to, they said, improve health insurance markets and not to destroy them. But Justice Scalia got it right, and he was joined by Thomas and Alito. He said this decision by the Supreme Court is, and these are his words, absurd, feeble, indefensible. He said words no longer have meaning. The court does whatever it takes to uphold and assist its favorite laws. And then he added, we do not possess a free-floating power to rescue Congress from its drafting errors or repair laws that do not work out in practice. So bottom line, another example of the court not judging but legislating, the type of court that we do not want. It's absolutely right, Bob. And it, it's unfortunate, but... Uh... You know, language means a lot, and uh, just because you think that, uh, you know, you want to do the right thing for society, society doesn't allow you to subordinate uh, the principles of the Constitution. That's exactly what the Supreme Court did. 
precisely. Yeah. Bob Levy, again, chairman of the Cato Institute. I encourage you to visit the very robust website, Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, I want to continue this conversation about the Supreme Court decision since the New Deal. Maybe we could pick up with uh, uh, the uh, exercise of the uh, campaign finance reform next time we visit. Look forward to it, Bob. All right. Thank you so much for being on the show, Bob. I really appreciate it. You bet. Good to be with you. You as well. Thank you. All right. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa. He's a professor and author of Josephus of Oz. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. On a referral, I visited Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples' only vitality and longevity practice where acupuncture, medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a -a one-of-a-kind restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratospell Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. I hope you check it out. You can uh, find out more and download the app by visiting the website, choicesocial.us. We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. There's so much going on in the world right now. Of course, the Ukraine is sucking all the air out of all other news. What's on your mind today? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, there's so many things going on, but unfortunately, our focus, and maybe by necessity, it's on Ukraine, but uh, I think there are other things going on. First of all, just a little bit of, of, of humanness in terms of our conversation, Bob, which I think is a good good thing to do. Uh Tomorrow was St. Uh, Patty's Day. I was telling my granddaughter, who's in with me, you know, that St. Patrick was known for having driven the snakes out of Ireland. And I asked her what she thought about this. This is a seven-year-old. So she thought and she said, I want to live in Ireland. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I thought that was a, an extremely perceptive remark from, uh, from, my, from my granddaughter. Um, there's another piece of, of good news. The um, withdraw, withdrawing of the nomination of uh, Sarah Bloom Braskin yeah. from the uh, position of Federal Reserve Board's vice chair. I thought that was a, uh, a good thing to hear, her radical position on energy policy and um, building an economic system around climate change uh, just was not something uh, that America could deepen in terms of, of its involvement. So uh, I was glad to see uh, her withdrawn. Of course, there's a, a history of radical ap- appointments across the board. So um, it's probably dubious whether the next appointment will be any better than, than Raskin. But uh, I was glad to see her, her withdrawn. 
Uh, any thoughts on that, Bob? Oh no, I totally agree. I mean, uh, we want we want these people to stay in their lane, and you know, with inflation out of control and uh, problems with employment and uh, lack of workers. That's the focus of the Fed. We need her to, them to focus on that, not on building in climate change as one of their issues. My goodness, we have a, a woke military. We have the leaders in the military. We have so many things right now that we need to correct. It's which uh, we, we just don't need to add one. You know, these things used to be subsets of our of our culture, of our of our economic system, of our awareness. Now they have become the the primary in terms of of how we function, unfortunately. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to totally discredit it, although I would probably personally do that, the, the process of climate change. But on the other hand, we cannot uh, run a nation as, as complicated as the United States with that as the overriding principle uh, that uh, causes our decisions to be made in any direction. So it's a very dangerous thing we've been involved with. I think we can see the result that you pointed out with the, the supply chain issue and the uh, the, and by the way, I just throw this in real quickly. It's not uh, I wasn't going to bring it up, but uh, the, the the fertilizer issue in terms yeah. of the, the the lack of that is going to have significant impact on the ability of of American farmers and of farmers worldwide to produce the uh, the the farm products that they were normally producing in abundance. So uh, there are so many uh, problems that exist and rely just on the immediate horizon. So. Uh, it's a dangerous uh, world. I, I, I unfortunately uh, believe it's a world that that we've created by our decision making process. Some some issues that affect the world are, are the, the natural outcome of of realities. Uh, they just exist because they exist. Shortages in in in, uh, in uh, mineral supplies, for example. Uh, but this one, almost everything we're talking about is a result of a decision made in this country uh, that has spread worldwide as a uh, affectation of Western of Western societies. Yeah, Bob. That's absolutely true. And I'll just add on, I don't want to take our focus away from the conversation, but the fact of the matter is that the predicate for all this nonsense, climate change, happens to be very flawed. It's a model. There's no proof of the fact that uh, we're going to die in 12 years, or now it's only seven, because of climate change. Uh, uh, carbon dioxide is plant food. And we've had five times the level of carbon dioxide in our environment. It's a trace element in the uh, atmosphere. We've had five times more than we have today. And uh, all it does is make the earth more uh, flush in terms of the, the greenness. So uh, it's, it's a really a, a straw dog we're chasing. And unfortunately, at the expense of our number one, uh, our security and our economy. You know, I, I did. You're absolutely correct, of course, Bob. I didn't want to get into this, but I, I would also mention that the the, the deep ice core um, uh, drillings in uh, in the Arctic and Antarctic areas have shown that, in fact, um, carbon dioxide follows the increase in carbon dioxide historically, going back millions of years, has followed increased planetary temperatures. It hasn't preceded it. That's so. Good. In other words, they, they want you to believe that. Uh, the amount of carbon dioxide increased on the planet and temperatures went up. The the deep co ice core drilling showed just the opposite, that the temperatures went up first and then as a result, the carbon dioxide levels increased. So, uh, but they ignore the these obvious and scientifically validated positions that totally uh, throw into disrepute uh, almost everything they've, they've said, Bob. So, you know, uh, your position is correct. I think we've talked about this multiple times in the past, and I, I think it's worthy of those multiple conversations. Absolutely. So, well, and let, me, um, let me add this, too. Of course, this all is based on uh, settled science, and, of course, they refer to the fact that most uh, climatologists or scientists agree with, 97% agree with this. The fact of the matter is that science is never settled, and it's always the outlier that comes up with a new thesis that absolutely proves to be true, like Copernicus and other great scientists and the history of the world. So uh, I, I'm not suggesting there may not be a grain of truth in it, but it's based on a model that's all f based on flawed damaged science and uh, we shouldn't go along and, with it and by, by the way speaking of exactly what you're dealing with right now most of the scientists that have signed on to an agreement in terms of the climate change uh, computer models have not been meteorologists they have not been climatologists right. they have not been geologists they are in totally unrelated scientific areas uh, i could cite the oregon petition that came about several decades ago with thirty thousand scientists uh, signed on to something totally rejecting 
the issue of, of global warming at that point. Right. So you know, I think we've got to bring some sense back to this. It doesn't mean there there shouldn't be a debate. As a matter of fact, I would stress there must be a debate. Uh, but that debate is not forthcoming because I think they recognize that a debate would totally expand, uh, expose the inadequacy of their basic com- uh, computer models. I mean, including it, including the man hockey stick, by the way. Yeah, they, exactly. And uh, right, you know, it's okay for a few uh, progressives to uh, be out on the limb and suggest something like this. That's fine. But right now, it's undermining our economy and our national security. This is serious business, and we got to. <laughs> We have to fight it back and, and somehow get back to uh, the great energy supply that we have in the United States. We should be dominating the situation because of our using our energy supply. Instead, we've cut it off. Well, and you are successfully drawing me into this conversation where I, I, I didn't want to be, but it's such an important conversation that I think it's worthy of, of you know, our investment of time. Uh, if we look at the, the number of, uh, of coal burning plants that go online uh, each week in, um, in China, the number going online in, uh, in India, and right now the number going online in Africa, that anything we do in America which is probably, as a unit of economic outcome, has the lowest carbon output of any country on this planet, is absolutely absurd. If we were to eliminate every drop of carbon this country puts out, it would not in any way deflect from the, the statistics that could be offered about the amount of carbon in the atmosphere above. That's right. And for all of those who might be concerned about clean water and clean air, we all nobody wants dirty water or dirty air. We have the uh, technology right now to clean the contaminants out of the air and to make sure that even coal burning, for example, can uh, produce can uh, produce carbon dioxide without all the soot and all the contaminants and particulates in the air that are, are creating the smog, for example, in China. So, uh, again, <laughs> and look, we, we've suppressed our production of a much cleaner burning uh, oil and natural gas, and uh, with the greater expanded use of the, the Russian uh, comparable supplies in those areas, which are much dirtier. So, uh, and again, no nuclear power has been supported in in decades. Um, so, and R- Germany, I believe, has totally eliminated all of their nuclear power facilities. So there seems to be an inherent contradiction. If you want to uh, decrease the level of carbon, there is no better way to do it yeah. than to move towards nuclear power. The new nuclear power plants are not Chernobyls. They are beautifully designed. They have multiple fail-safe systems, and there is no problem whatsoever with these these type of nuclear power facilities, Bob. Absolutely. This reminds me of the conversation that President Trump, he showed up at a meeting with uh, for, uh, for the... Uh, NATO, and uh, he came in a few minutes late, and Angela Merkel said, you know, you're late. <laughs> and, he said, <laughs> and he said, look, this is my meeting, and uh, you don't pay your share into NATO. You're a stiff. <laughs> he said, don't you miss that? <laughs> oh, man, do I? I it's, you know, e- even if I occasionally disagreed with Trump, I, by the way, I can't even think of a moment when I did in reality. So I'll, I'll just make that offering for your audience. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, but again, I, I, I miss that kind of open transparency that right. uh, that Donald Trump offered us. And uh, it certainly is totally lacking in today's America. Moving back to where I wanted to be, as I told you, you stole the conversation and put it in your direction. But I, I agreed with your direction. My apologies. Uh, I should be facilitating, not leading. I apologize. I well, that I think that's that's the nature of who we are at this point, Bob. Right. We, you and I have a conversation, so I think that's the way it should be. Right. I, I would also like to note that it's been brought to light that uh, the Supreme Court nominee Katanji Brown Jackson was tightly linked to a radical, extremely radical black organization at Harvard in her senior year in 1992. Uh, they brought in Leonard Jeffries from. Uh, City University of New York, even though he was opposed by many members uh, of her same black radical group because he was so extreme. He's an extreme anti-Semite, an extreme anti-white spokesperson. He was actively involved with conversations with another CUNY professor at that point, Michael Levin. This is back in the early 90s. Uh, But Leonard Jeffries was a well-documented anti-Semite, anti-white theoretician coming out of the city university. uh, And for them to bring uh, bring her in, being sponsored, essentially, by Katanji Brown Jackson, 
may should at least be brought into the conversation in terms yeah. of a nomination. I never suggest that these things should be knockout factors. It goes back uh, almost uh, 30 years. So I think that has to be taken into consideration. On the other hand, it can't be ignored. Right. I don't think we can afford, if that radicalism still exists, I don't think we can afford to uh, further diminish uh, the way the Supreme Court is seen by bringing in what may be an extreme black radical. Body. Well, I'll say this. I mean, it should be part of the vetting process, whether it's a, it ends up being a, a deal killer or not. That remains to be seen. That should be up to the Senate in their advising consent role. But nevertheless, if that if it's true if, and, and you say it is, you know, it should be considered. It should be part of the decision making process. Yeah, what I offered is well documented. It's supported by the literature coming out of that uh, group at that time. So it's not in, it's not in dispute. Again, I'm always reluctant to, uh, to to hang someone for something that they did or said uh, 30 years ago. That's that's always something that I'm reluctant to do. Uh, but when you're talking about a lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court that'll have its you know dramatic impact on this on this uh, country, uh, I think that has to be considered. So you know I hope it's brought into the conversation. I think there's a a general lack of willingness to directly confront. Uh, 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 Ketanji Brown Jackson. Uh, on the other hand, it, as I said. Uh, it, it must happen. It Absolutely. must happen because of the importance of that position, Bob. Absolutely. Hi, Andy. Uh, let me just mention also, well, oh, the comedic relief I was going to bring up. It's hard to weave these topics together, Bob. Dr. Rachel Levine has been nominated as USA's <laughs> Woman of the Year. So their best woman of the year is a man. You yeah. know, this is uh, the absurdity. It almost sounds like something coming out of Babylon B or, or the onion, you know, it's, right. just, it's so ridiculous. The best contestant, what woman contestant on Jeopardy was a man. The best woman swimmer in collegiate sports is a man. These these things are so ridiculous and so diminishing, so demeaning to to women and their accomplishments that uh, that they're tolerated is just uh, is to me a total outrage. Uh, so well, you know, the, I hope we can get back to some semblance of at least biologic normalcy. Bob. Well, I just think, you know, the consequences of the USA Today, of course, is the one who's publishing this Woman of the Year uh, program and, and made that nomination. My comments, and I started the show with uh, with this observation, is the fact that there are two gender, two sexes, male and female. There's no such thing as a transgender. This is a guy uh, who happens to be confused or uh, he identifies as a female. Well, that's fine. Uh, but let's not make things up here, And number one. And number two, USA Today publishes the Naples Daily News, and we can understand why that uh, the donkey press has gone down the tubes and doesn't really serve the community in terms of true news. Yeah, that's always surprised me as a 15-year resident of, or 17-year resident now of Naples, uh, why this essentially conservative community, if we judge by the the, the, the voting results, uh, has only one paper, and that is a paper that I regard as having gone to the extreme left. I have, in my time here in Naples, published 190 letters in the Naples Daily News, Bob, uh, but I haven't published a letter now in two years. It just, to me, it just, it doesn't serve any purpose. All right? Why, waste, why waste your I time? I've given up on that. Right. Well, why waste your time? Absolutely. Pretty much that, that was my philosophy. Getting back to topic, because our time always runs out before before I wanted to. Uh, yesterday was uh, March 15th, which the Ides of March, which uh, the Ides, by the way, every Roman month had an Ides portion of the calendar. For, for many months, the Ides was the 15th, other month it was the 13th. Uh, March 15th became the notorious Ides of March because it was associated with the uh, assassination of Julius Caesar. And since that point has been seen as a, a defining moment of the potential of, of a negative or negative events. And I think yesterday we can look at something that might possibly eventually fall into that category as Saudi Arabia announced they would start pricing their oil sales to China in Uan in, in the well that word is so mispronounced but it's Uan uh, and and not in dollars uh, if in fact this became more widespread as a uh, as a concept and the United States lost its status as the world's reserve currency and it became the Uan uh, essentially the United States will be severely severely uh, economically impacted by that. 
Uh, Saudi Arabia was reacting to what they saw as our precipitous withdrawal from Af Afghanistan, our support as they see it for nuclear development, nuclear weapon development in Iran, and our failure to support their uh, their their activities in the Yemen civil war. So uh, Saudi Arabia no longer sees uh, the United States as a reliable ally. So I think they're starting to begin to look eastward. Uh, and that is certainly does not portend well for the United States if this becomes a more extended, extended pro process. Yeah, well, thank you for bringing that up. I hadn't had it on the agenda to discuss today, but I'm so grateful you have because it's of great importance. And in fact, if uh, the dollar uh, ceases to be the exchange of, uh, the, of trade around the world, if it goes to the uh, yuan or as you pronounce it, uh, you know what? Uh, we're in dire, dire trouble. The reason why that we were able to uh, survive with all the indebtedness we've taken on is because of the fact that we are the exchange medium for the for the globe. And uh, if that changes, we're in big trouble. That's right. We we are a, a debtor society. I mean, no doubt about that at a 30 trillion dollar national debt level. Uh, and that is only possible because we are the uh, trusted and respected reserve currency. If that ends, then the ability of America to fund itself on uh, on unsecured debts uh, will end almost immediately, Bob. Uh, and this country will, will have to figure out an entirely different economic model if that occurs. So I think we're looking at something that uh, occurred yesterday that might portend that exact event over over even the short term right now, it can happen. It can happen in the short term uh, if it uh, if it gets uh, full blown across the globe. Yeah, just think about it. Saudi Arabia signed on in the Abraham Accords. The relationship between Saudi Arabia and some of the other eastern countries has changed dramatically as a result of this administration. And now we're paying the big price. Andy, I want to uh, we got to take a little break here. Can you stick around? I will be here. Buddy. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, providing programs and uh, policies to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website thefga.org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josefa Savaz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So uh, right now uh, we, we've got this situation in Ukraine. I just wonder what your thoughts might be. 
let me start out with uh, something obligatory, but I think it's an, an appropriate thing to say. There's nothing I'm going to say right now that will ignore or try to minimize the, the, the suffering of the Ukrainian people right now. Mm. I mean, that is all too obvious and abhorrent. So my comments will deal with other things than that. But uh, I am not losing sight of that. And no one should ever lose sight of the, the suffering going on in Ukraine. I think what we have to consider, though, is is the cause uh, has some insights about that and possible solutions, but I'm not I'm not ignoring it and no one no one should. But I just was reading a very intriguing theories uh, about why Russia launched this war. And because they're intriguing does not make them right. But if they fit the pattern of what you're seeing, I think they're worth considering. This theory would have it that Russia launched this war with Ukraine, uh, knowing that it would cause the West to economically disassociate itself from Russia. This is exactly what the theory would say is exactly what Putin wanted. Hmm. Russia was deeply invested in the economic world order. He wanted out. He felt it made him too vulnerable to the West's actions against Russia. And being paranoid, as almost every Russian leader in history has been, paranoid in the sense that he was deeply concerned about the ability of the West to damage Russia, he knew he had extricated himself from the Western economic order. He did not want that pressure. As that occurred, and we're seeing it now, so this is why this theory has a certain resonance for me. Right now, he wanted uh, to be able to harvest the assets of Western companies that were already in Russia. We're seeing that there are 375 companies where he's already moved towards acquiring their production assets, uh, their intellectual property, their trademarks even. Um, now, if this got extended to a full-blown version, the, the, all of the foreign assets in Russia would be nationalized. Russia, at that point, would align themselves with China. You would then divide the globe up into uh, the West and the East. The West would be, as we could define it, the uh, North American and, and European uh, um, activities. Uh, and when that we'd see on the East, Russia, China, and perhaps even as time uh, uh, unfolds, uh, the, uh, the existence of, of India. Now, who becomes more vulnerable in that model? I believe the West in that model becomes extremely vulnerable. We have the, the oil capacity and gas capacities of Russia now coupled with the fact that, that the West cannot escape from the production capability of, of China, not only in terms of, fi of finished goods, but in intermediary goods to uh, create finished goods in, in our country. So this is a, a model that certainly has a uh, an intriguing resonance to me in terms of uh, of what we're seeing and what is happening to a certain extent. Uh, so I think that this is a possibility in terms of what is going on right now mm. uh, underneath the, uh, the 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 awareness of almost every Western commentator at this point. That is so fascinating, Andrew. Thank you for that. The variation I've heard on that is that it's an, it's now an alignment between the authoritarian countries like China and Russia and the quote-unquote more democratic or uh, republic uh, approaches to uh, governance uh, like the United States, Great Britain. <laughs> it might be a stretch to include India, for example. So it may not be geographic. It may actually end up being uh, the form of government or or that uh, or rule of people that's involved in this process. But either way, I mean, I think uh, what we're seeing is the new alignment of the world order. The the way this has been described was uh, in two ways. Uh, it would be the decadent West against the post-communist East. That was one way of, of creating this global division. Another one, a little harsher, would be the crumbling liberal democracies against the autocratic national socialists. So uh -huh. uh, th those are ways that we're looking. And your positioning is absolutely correct. These are certainly not necessarily geographic uh, alignments. Uh, these are uh, cultural. These are philosophic alignments. Uh, but I think we certainly have to understand understand that we're seeing a lot of that uh, as as we're talking uh, today Bob yeah one, one of the things I appreciated <laughs> Putin is a uh, he kills people he's a murderer I mean because I saw all those bad things but one of the things I appreciate about him is he, he is Russia first in other words his his point of view is all about national Russian nationalism and wanting to to put Russia first as for example uh, Trump wants to put the America first 
And I think that's that's a good thing, quite frankly. Uh, but uh, uh, he's not a globalist. And t- to me, well, I think I mean, that's that, good... that would be my expectation of any of any meaningful national leader. Uh, Trump was uh, an American firster. I think uh, Putin is an, is a uh, is a Russian firster. And I think Zelensky is a Ukraine firster. Right. So these are not negative concepts, except when, of course, the Western media wants to make it ne- negative when they refer to uh, to Putin, of course, as a paranoid nationalist in terms of uh, his, his current state of mind. Uh, but again, these I, this is my expectation for any country. And I think this is, and I'm going to say Putin and Trump got along. That probably is not the right way to position it. But I think why they understood each other, mm-hmm. both understood that neither would yield anything that was uh, negative to their country's well-being. And I think that put them on uh, the same level in terms of their conversations, Bob. Absolutely. I want to take just a little bit of a break here. Can you stick around, Andy? Yes, I have a few more things I'd like to bring up. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're continuing the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Good to be back with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So uh, what are your thoughts about Zelensky, the leader of Ukraine? I, I don't want to be unduly harsh when I talk about him. He's obviously under any uh, any uh, model. He's in a difficult situation. I'm so I'm not trying to diminish what uh, the position the man is in. But I think we have to look at uh, who Zelensky actually is and whether he's serving in reality the best interest of of Ukrainian people. Uh, in the first place, Zelensky is a consummate actor. That is who he is. It's 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 his background. He knows how to have that little bit of beard stubble on and put the military T-shirt on. Uh, he knows how to affect an audience. And I think he's done that quite successfully. Mm-hmm. And I again, I don't blame him as a national leader for trying to do that. So, But I, I think we have to understand he is doing it. And he's he's having deep impact on the mindsets of the uh, of the West. 
if we look at where he comes from politically, uh, he was bankrolled into office by the corrupt Ukrainian oligarch, uh, Igor Kolomoisky, yeah. uh, who was uh, denied access to the United States because he was so corrupt. But that was the major funding source uh, for um, uh, for, uh, for Zelensky getting into office. It's also suggested, I think I mentioned this last week, that George Soros was also deeply involved uh, with uh, with the funding Zelensky into the into the presidency. Right. Uh, it's also been well documented that he has been tremendously draconian harsh and uh, draconian harshness with the media, restraining the media. This is before the war even started. So the point I'm making simply is. Uh, is Zelensky serving the best interests of the Ukraine people when he's calling for more weaponry? Does that help them or does it just create more destruction? For every um, weapon that comes in that can kill Russians, I, I believe you're going to see 10 Ukrainians, Ukrainians die or, and 10 bridges blown up. So uh, to me, at this point, uh, this extended war is causing incredible damage to the Ukraine people. And I believe a, point, a case could be made that they're not fighting for their freedom. They're not fighting for Ukraine. What they're fighting for, and I'm going to say this because it is what I believe, they are fighting for the preservation of the Zelensky government, and I believe that is what his focus is. And, and again, I'm not trying to condemn that out of hand, but I am saying let us not deify the man. Let us understand who he is, and let us understand what he's trying to do, particularly now he's, he's advocating uh, for a no-fly zone uh, sponsored, supported by the West over Ukraine, which may be tantamount to a declaration of war. Yeah, that's so interesting, Andy. I really appreciate you bringing up those thoughts of interesting considerations. Andrew Joppa, again, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. I genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show, Andy. Thank you so much for joining us. Talk soon, Bob. Thank you so much. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got great guests lined up for tomorrow's show. I hope you join us again tomorrow morning live or on any one of the uh, podcast outlets uh, that we have. Hey, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. I, I would appreciate that as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>